Welcome to the Night Shift Football Podcast. We're here for episode 141. That's 141. Just the four Premier League games to go over so far. Cooper and Tommy still have their games of the week to come. We've got an update on fantasy and, of course, the Socceroos win over Syria. All right, welcome back for another week, episode 141. I'm joined once again by Cooper and Tommy. They're both going to say hi at the same time this time. Let's go. Three, two, one. Hi. Hi. Oh, I love that. Look at that. They're, they're like twins, these two. You can't separate them. Um, geez, Tommy, what's what's your relationship with football at the moment when there's a the split round going on in the Premier League and there's there's only a handful of games? It's, you know. It's, it's good for the part-time lovers because you don't have to devote absolutely everything like your entire weekend to try mm. and fit in 10 games and abroad. I don't mind it. I think if this is their way, they're going to navigate, you know, the English break and not, you know, following the rest of Europe, by all means, I think it's fine. I was going to say like it makes the weekend a bit more dull, but what I'm, cause what I'm thinking of is like Sunday nights sitting there on the computer watching games and like, I think they're always dull though. Premier League doesn't usually start till after midnight. We're sitting there. <laughs> this Sunday night, I was watching. I had like three games going. I had a, a game in Spain, Osasuna. I had Frosinone versus Cagliari going on. Two relegation battling Serie A teams. And on the That's other screen, the on the other screen, Leeds and Preston. And I've got to tell <laughs> you, all, th- the <laughs> all three of them were, were not all that great. <laughs> what were you really expecting from a championship game? a relegation battling Italian game and whatever the hell was going on in Spain. Like this isn't this isn't top quality football that you're being there were out. there were five goals in the Spanish game. I'll give you that. But um it's grim sitting that- there needing goals in a championship game and watching oh, Bamford run funny. around like an absolute <laughs> clown. <laughs> Cooper's not sold on Bambi, I don't think. No, I think he I don't know. I think potentially, like I said on the weekend, I haven't watched enough of him in this lead side to make a proper judgment on him. But he just he just looked a yard and a half too slow for the rest of the front three. It's it's just not good. Um, let's go to some football stuff. There's been a few incidents this week. There's some serious stuff as well. Um, we're starting with the game in Udinese in Syria. If you haven't seen this over the weekend, Mike Magnon, the goalkeeper for Milan walked up to the referee, um, citing abuse from the crowd, but no ordinary abuse, racial abuse. They were making monkey charts, uh, chants reportedly at him. He's told the referee and then decided to walk off the field. The players have also walked off the field in unison. The game was paused for 10 minutes um, before it resumed. And this is, I guess, this is something we're seeing. Uh, it's only the second time, I think, in two years in Italy, but that is too, too many, I would say. Yeah, seems to be a common trend over there more than anywhere else. And I think you said it well when discussing it during the week, Sam, that it seems to be like it's not something that's going to be cut out by these supporter groups because they only seem to really be offended if even if even yeah. offended when it's against one of their own players. Or or no, they're not they're not even. And that is that was my point I was trying to make during the week. Like um I often refer back to the Lukaku incident that was with from um he was being racially vilified by Cagliari fans. And when the Cagliari fans were kind of like denounced for it and like the governing bodies spoke out against them, the Inter Ultras came out to defend them. They didn't defend Lukaku. Um, they basically just said, 
we we won't racially abuse him because he plays for us, but we we defend their right to <laughs> or their opinions, and therefore they are if they want to racially vilify our player, they can, and that's just completely bizarre. And I don't know why you'd want to play for a club after your fans after your fans do that. But um, I don't it's, know what's it's the most of, it's yeah, the most bonkers on. rationale, man. To it like is. try and equivocate that, like, okay, you're you're our player, so we're not going to, you know, racially vilify you, but fucking free reign on everyone else that comes here. But yeah. that the two and two don't make sense. And you know, I I really love the the solidarity with the Milan players walking off. If he says it's happening, then bang, and they all got off to the sidelines. Yeah. I think it was well done. Um, you know, it would just it would kind of be nice to see a little bit more from like the Udinese players. I think towards Manyan. It would have been nice to see everyone walk off together and try and show like a really united front in that sense, given that he walked down the tunnel by himself in the end um, or to begin at all when then everyone followed him. But, you know, outside of that, it's just, this is the best way I think to deal with um, abuse in the stands, stop the game. Um, behind closed doors, I don't think fixes anything either. I don't think so. We're, no. prob- we're probably getting to the point where like points deductions are, should be seriously considered. It's just really like I guess it, we're running to this thing where the people who do this sort of stuff are not they don't give a fuck about points deductions and things like that. Like ultras groups don't, don't care about don't that reckon. stuff. No, nah, they, they don't. Love, they love their club. They don't care really where they finish though because they're going to no, go back anyway. They always put themselves ahead of their club, and that's the their oh, whole yeah. mentality. You know, it's always like, well, we should be able to do this. We should be able to do this because we're we tell you know, you we are we are the number one thing fun like pushing this club and supporting this club. So. Um, mm. we sh- we should be able to. Um, like I think we should stress as well. It is always like, even though it happens a fair bit, but it is like, it's not every person in the stadium. We're talking a, a group of people in a certain part of the stadium. Um, so not generalizing, but it's just I don't know how you fix something like this when these people are going to keep coming to games. It's always dickheads, and they're never like true supporters of the game. I don't think because mm. if you were a true supporter of the game, you wouldn't want to see you know. You wouldn't want to see the game stopped because of things like this, or you wouldn't want to see players yeah, exactly. not playing, or you know, don't don't you want to see good teams come and play your side and stuff? I don't know. Did we see it uh, occurred in England as well, just the day after the no. the Milan incident and the game between uh, Coventry City and Sheffield Wednesday? Uh, Casey oh, Palmer from Coventry was about to take a corner and picked up the ball, ran over to the official, and it was an almost empty stand at that end, and was able to just alert the official and a security guard to two individuals that were could be easily seen on camera and were shown on TV making monkey gestures towards Casey Palmer as yeah. he was trying to take a corner. Um, a little bit of dis- distaste online for um, Barry Bannon, who's been a bit of a, a long-timer around the football tiers in England yep. because as Casey Palmer was talking to the official and the security guard, Barry Bannon came over and gestured to Casey Palmer that he should just get on with the corner. Ah, um, uh, so, See, again, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Cross-team solidarity in these situations would go so much further than just one team walking off the pitch. That's like, that's, <clears throat> that's low form, I think, for Bannon. Yeah, it's pretty poor. You just got to be rational. I think like, I know there's, they're different incidents, but you know, last week when we were talking about like the Brentford fans lately have been copying a lot of attention. Um, Not for, not for this, but, um, but like, you know, obviously saying some heinous shit to people and then Sheffield players getting like really defensive when someone uh, sorry, Brentford players getting really defensive when like an yeah. opposition player calls out someone in the crowd or something. It's like, just be rational here for a minute and think like, 
people aren't going to react to stuff in the crowd unless it's seriously fucked up shit you're saying. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Just, I don't know why you'd want to go to the football as a, an adult and yell some of the things that people do. But, <laughs> you know. Can we move on? Spain. I don't know if you guys you guys saw this. Real Madrid this morning at the Bernabeu. Uh, we're recording Monday night. So Monday morning, 2-0 down. They found themselves against uh, Maria. And then they clawed their way back, but not without controversy. Cooper, do you want to run us through some of these incidents? Yeah, very controversial. Um, I mean, and if we're going to be blatantly honest about it and talk about it, I don't, I don't want to accuse people of of corruption because it might not necessarily be corruption. But if it's not, wouldn't it's be some, the first time, Cooper. It's some absolutely horrendous officiating, just utterly terrible. Um, Almeria two 0 up at halftime in this one. Uh, Gonzalez, the second goal scorer for Almeria, scored a great goal. Um, if you haven't seen that one, go and check it out. Absolute screamer turn on the half volley. Um, and then after half time, it all went downhill for them there. Jude Bellingham with a 57th minute penalty. Um, Real Madrid had a free kick, I believe, crossed the ball into the area. Uh, handball was eventually given, but it very much looked like the Almeria defender was being heavily fouled in this situation. And that was probably the only reason he didn't have control of his arms and handle the ball in the first place. The referees looked at it on VAR. He's been called over and decided it's handball and it's kind of like it has come off his upper arm but he's like in no i don't know he's got a defender all over him you cannot he can't have his arms by his side to jump up and win a header like that that just doesn't work uh but the the commentators were like yeah confident that that's like a lock-in penalty um which i guess if it is fine uh but then we saw uh if you skip ahead to the equalizing the equalizing goal, which clearly comes off the arm of is it Vinny Jr. I think. Yep. It clearly comes off the same part of his arm as uh the poor bloke who gave away the penalty. The referee goes and looks at it on VAR and decides the goal stands. I, I thought it was it seemed really blatant, blatantly terrible and uh just just say corrupt. It was it was bad. It was really bad. I mean, with the with the Vinicius Jr. goal, the thing is regardless of whether it's the same part of the arm as the penalty that was given against Almeria is the way that the rules currently written in the, in the States and they're supposed to officiate any part of the arm used to impact a ball that directly results in a goal is overturned, is given this handball. He scored straight off of his high arm, yeah, but he has scored straight off of his arm. And there is, there is no world where there is any excuse for this goal not to be disallowed. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts, isn't it? It's like letter to the law stuff. And it, this is one of the more explicit rulings of the handball law. And this is why they've distorted it so much that they have so that they can draw distinctions like this. And if we're not going to follow them, what is the point, man? Like, we don't know what handball is most of the time. You give them a good example and they still don't call it. Yeah. This this all happened in like a 10-minute period where Bellingham got the penalty uh, well, he scored the penalty after the so-called handball. Uh, four minutes later, the uh, Almeria scored a third, uh, which was disallowed. I thought they were looking at the offside. It turns out it was disallowed for uh, like a hand to the face in the middle of the field in the build-up. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to see goals disallowed. I don't know. There's no intent there at all. It's, mm. it's one of those things where two players are trying to jostle for possession and they're both kind of crouching and lowered and their arms are up. Um, it's just a kind of kind of luck thing where he catches him in the face. I don't think it affects him getting the ball or not. Um, but that causes arguments, which causes like 
you know, yellow cards being dished out to our Maria players. And then mm. the goal, which sees another two players yellowed and the coach, <laughs> the coach eventually in the 97th minute is sent off for a, he gets a second yellow. <laughs> He's just ropeable at this point. And I can't blame him. It was a, it was a disgrace. And then they end up going and snatching a win around Madrid and a completely undeserved get out of jail at home there. Crazy. The Ariba incident was the one that I think upset me the most about all the VAR rulings. Cause like that, brings into question the whole like totality of the thing and that it's not searching back through footage, taking into like mind the context of the game and how football is actually played. Like Sam said, you're jostling in the middle of the park. Sometimes you're going to have a coming together of limbs. You know, I thought there could have been a foul given against, uh, I think it was Bellingham that ends up getting hit in the face. Could have been given against him in the builder. Like what you're doing is they're looking for any minor indiscretion uh, in the pursuit of like ruling out a goal. And that's where VAR is just, it's all wrong. And that's what's causing all these howlers. I can't, this is just such like a, a blight in terms of the difference between football between the countries in Europe and the way the governing bodies worked and et cetera, et cetera. Because I just can't imagine the absolute PGMOL mess we'd be having at the moment if this has occurred in England. Imagine the, the chatter <laughs> around this incident and the, the statements and bullshit that would be coming out for the next fortnight if this has occurred there. But with Spain, this is an incident that's just going to be firmly swept under the rug and we'll just move on, I think. <laughs> well, that's what you get when you're winless all season, Omeria. You cannot stand yeah. in the way of Real Madrid winning the league. It's grim. It has huge, like... For the table, Real Madrid don't get those points. Say they lose, you know, they're sitting on 48. They're, they're, they're four points behind Girona with a game in hand. As it stands now, they're one point behind Girona with a game in hand, um, which can put them top. And it's just, uh, I'm not here to defend Girona either because CFG, but um, they had a big mm-hmm. win on the weekend. I, I guess we just want to see Rao and Barca be shaken up a bit. Uh, it looks like it is going to go down to Rao and Girona, but um, Real Madrid going to get, get out of jail free cards then just give them the title now i reckon just fucking hand yeah. it over fuck yeah. it stop the season no no point going any further uh we've done spain we've done italy i'll just quickly give you germany just because uh my game of the week was over here rb leipzig at home to leverkusen uh big one Xabi alonso's boys still powering on though they came from behind twice in this one five goals um 3-2 win in the 91st minute. Uh, Hinsapi, I think. I don't know how to say his last name, that player. Uh, but got a scrambled one in at the end to get the win. Huge points for Xabi Alonso's side. They sit. Where are they? They're, they're seven clear. Um, Bayern did have two games in hand, but um, they messed up yesterday. I can't remember the score. What was it? They lost 1-0 at home to Werder Bremen. So maybe that's what, that's what Eric Dyer gets you. You know, and now they're in the market for Trippier too. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing over there. Less investment in Spurs players, past, present, former, mm-hmm. and maybe more in like building a a, a title winning team. Is that they're falling apart a little bit? There's yeah. there's holes. There's holes in this side. Eric Dyer didn't play. I just wanted to throw it at him. But um, the one 0 <laughs> loss, the one 0 loss to Bayern, yeah, it just means they're seven points behind with one game in hand. So. It's exciting times in Germany there. If you if you're wanting to see Bayern not win a league for a change, there's still a long way to go though. Stuttgart of a surprise package there in third. Dortmund had a good win four 0 Sancho involved in two of the goals, winning a penalty and then setting Ooh. one up. So he looks like he it just looks like he's enjoying football again. There's like, a player it there could still. Be as, as simple as that. He's just having fun, and yeah. he just wasn't having fun at United. I guess I don't, I don't know. I don't have the reasons. Yeah, there you go, Germany. Um. 
Let's move to England. Fantasy football. We'll go there. Cooper, do you happen to know who got the most points this week in the fantasy Premier League? Uh, I'm not sure, Sam. Who did get the uh, the most points in the uh, but I asked you. League? I asked you. Uh, Sam um, hasn't checked. If you don't know, we can just skip this segment. Uh, well, I think that'd be the, good. For the first time ever, yeah, Tom thinks it's good because for the first time ever, we've got a, a night shift host with a leading score, and it's not Tom who manages the team under the night shift name, which is plummeting down the table by the second because it seems like Tom either forgot this team existed or forgot that continental tournaments exist. I'll have you know we're in the exact same position on the table as we were last week and the week before. So, you know, we're, we're 34th out of 44. I think next year I'll run the fantasy team. Um, you're done, man. You're done. You can have to the end of the year and then you're done, all right? You're walking. Oh, no. But relieve me of my duties now, please. Cooper, do you want to tell us how you got your 86 points? Because you're such a genius, apparently. <laughs> yeah. All, all up in the year, managerial excellence. Uh, put the brought in Diogo Jota in replace of Mohamed Salah, obviously, off the, the Asian Cup and put the captain's armband on Jota for two goals and an assist. Excellent. Wow. It's sensational. I, I can't, okay. I'm, I'm inspired sitting here. I can't he's basically, wait to... He's basically goose hitting. I think, yeah, that's a that's a great comparison. Yeah, he's just he's borderline offensive. Cooper Hiddink, yeah. what are you a offended portly, by? A portly Dutchman. I just think I'm better managing than that. A, managing a what better than a World Cup semi final? You think I'm better than Gus Hiddink? Have a spell, man. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Frank Lampard. Let's talk Premier League games. The first one of the weekend: Arsenal five, Palace nil. I don't know if either of you watched this. Jeez. Uh, a grim affair for Palace right now. They were very, very ordinary. Tyreek Mitchell was getting absolutely ripped down his side and not even really by sucker. Just whoever ended up out there was kind of ripping him. Who was the poor fellow on the other side? Klein. Nathaniel Klein. What a fall from, uh, I guess, some sort of Southampton <laughs> grace. He was, had or, grace. he was at Liverpool, he wasn't for he? Liverpool. Was he at Liverpool? Yeah. yeah, he played played for Liverpool. Um, <laughs> he got appearances. They, they were bad. Palace, and they were never really in this. Arsenal never got out of second gear, I don't think. They were good when they needed to be, controlled the game. Early goal helped uh, Gabriel getting one and then their own goal. And then from there, they just went on with it in the second half. Yeah, that's just a procession, basically. And like you said, I don't think Arsenal were even that convincing. It's, it's, just, it's such a dumb thing to hear when they've won 5-0. But in terms of the, the general play of the game, I watched about 60 minutes of this. Um, I let you know, didn't see the onslaught of goals later in the game, but that could just because Palace had been worn out trying to play this ridiculous 2 3 5 formation or whatever Hodgson is trying to do to save his job at the moment. Uh, but Arsenal took full advantage, and there were a couple of really gorgeous sweeping counter attacks, like so fast, a couple of nice finishes as well. Trossard, Martinelli at the double. Uh, it was just a, a convincing win on paper, um, and exactly what Arsenal needed uh, after a, a poor run of results. Yeah, just on what Tom said there, and I, I had this saved. One of your favourite kinds of people, Sam, uh, EBL on Twitter, Here we is go. an account that really just like loves to overanalyze the fuck out of everything that happens in a game of football. Um, and they tweeted, it's 2024, Roy Hodgson is 76 years old and he has evolved tactically to the point where his Palace team are pressing Arsenal's 3-2-5 shape in man-to-man fashion. Their outside centre-backs are pressing <laughs> this high in Arsenal's half as Erdegaard and Havertz drop deep. This is amazing on so many levels. 
And then Ollie, who is Sorry? the host of the Ollie, who is the host of the Talk Crystal Palace Football Club podcast, um, quite a successful Palace podcast over there. Um, retweeted it with a caption: "Hi, mate. We lost five 0 Love that. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's brave though. <laughs> it, there, there was nothing to it, and Arsenal were just too good at it, like at playing out of it. Arsenal, like Arsenal, are really good at this. And I don't know how many Arsenal games we've seen over this year, this season, compared to last season. And the mistake, like you do get mistakes naturally playing this sort of thing. Happens. Sometimes, sometimes they're playing passes that are almost along the goal line and, and across that, like across the byline. But it's what they, they they back themselves to do it. And sometimes Erdegaard, Havertz, Rice, they're coming right in and receiving the ball on the edge of their own area. But then once they get through that next line of players, they are out and they dash forward. Erdegaard and Havertz, the transition they play with. Uh, with everyone bursting forward. And that's pretty much what allowed them to get these last three goals. So you can press all you like there, Palace, like that. But um, unless you're going to bring bring a bit more intensity to it or, or or maybe keep some of the ball a bit so you're not having to press the entire time, uh, maybe, maybe, you, maybe you wouldn't wear yourselves out so much and cop those late goals. The late goals were definitely, they just looked like they were worn out. Um, I know we said the Arsenal class- never... The class was there, though, like you said, in the, the Arsenal back four and their ability to link with the midfield yeah. close to the lines. Uh, like, that's something Palace, even under the tutelage of, you know, a world-class coach, I don't think could achieve. Like, that's that's just yeah. um, sharpness and quality difference. I just think, like, it was just not... I, w- I want to say Ars- Arsenal didn't play badly. They played really mm. well. They, they played excellent, but they didn't need to do any more than they did. You know, they they were just managing the game perfectly. It was a very professional performance from the moment they were 2-0 up. And they just saw out, they saw off any pressure, any lack of pressure that Palace were trying to put on uh, until they wore them down and got more goals in the end. So uh, an excellent performance, really, from Arsenal without having to exert too much in the end. Uh, it doesn't say a great deal about Palace. I noticed towards the end there were some, some banners up in the Palace end about off-field issues and drama at the club, uh, what... They're just a, they're just in a bit of a hole right now. Are they are they at risk of? They're not really at risk of going down, are they? Well, they could not. they could get they could get caught. It's just one of those they're crazy five, things. They're five ahead of Luton. You'd if think Luton Burnley and, and Sheffield are in trouble, but yes, yes, it's definitely Luton and Everton. If they can get on a run, they can drag any number of. I think them uh, Brentford might be okay, but Tony back now. But Forest could get dragged into this kind of situation. Someone else goes in a bad run that's in the bottom half. Forrester under them. Forrester under them, yeah. Um, That's that's why I think they're going to pull the pin on Hodgson. And uh, Graham Potter was in the crowd for this game, watching his his new team get spanked 5-0 by Arsenal. I reckon you'll see that done deal in the next week. And that could be the catalyst to revive them. Do you think how much of it this is like on Roy? Like he's nah, not is he just it. a bit too old, or is it just like they just what is he meant to do with this squad? They've got some. I think we've talked plenty about uh, Eze and Elise. Elise wasn't in for this one, but they they have a a handful, a tiny handful of good players there. But overall, this squad is just really, really bad. The good the good players that they have in this squad too, like Eze and Elise, are far from Roy Hodgson caliber players. They're not the kind of players that Roy Hodgson uses to keep Premier League teams afloat. Ah, oh, but he's got them doing a press. Oh yeah, it's, it's working. It's magical. <laughs> They're playing three at the back, Cooper. It's he's a visionary. Three, two, five. Get up and boys. Yeah, wild. I love when he. I love when he got appointed last season. They they credited his turnaround um, to just him telling the boys to run at opposition players. He was just like, "You're being shackled, lads. Just run at them. 
And then they went on a six-game winning streak. It's like, if management is that simple, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> we'd, all, we'd all have jobs. Don't you worry. Um, Cooper especially would have a job because he's better than Goose Hitting, he reckons. So, <laughs> And by that virtue, he thinks he's better than Roy. And he would have got yeah, get, a better result against Arsenal. Get me in Palace, I'll keep you up. What would you have done if you were managing Palace against Arsenal on the weekend? You're a West Ham display, surely. Um, Yeah, park the bus. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm far from pressing Arsenal. You're not ashamed just, to say you you just go there and be like, please draw, please draw, please draw. No, nah, it's a real boys, we're not good enough for this. Sit behind the football for 90 minutes situation. You're a motivational man manager, aren't you? Yeah. You I guys suck. It's just one it's one of those things. I'm getting ahead of the curve here because I know it'll happen, but and it nearly did happen on the weekend when Raya had to make a save from Lerma. Like, they're gonna fuck up and concede a goal at some point, aren't they? Like that just that happens. It's football. Uh, but I'd rather see them trying to play like that than just pumping everything long and turning it into good old-fashioned English football. Just get it up there, yeah? Fucking Brexit ball. Go on. Brexit ball. Uh, the other Saturday night game, Brentford 3, Forest 2. We love this, don't we? We don't like Brentford at the moment, but we love Tony and he's back and he scored a free kick and the world is good again. Yeah, did we see this... Uh the reverse angle of this Ivan Tony free kick right from when the foul is given. It's Ivan Tony up to old Ivan Tony tricks. Um, he puts the ball down and Darren England, the referee, comes over and he sprays his little line of, of magical foam that they say disappears, but it sits on the yep. pitch for 15 minutes. Um, and then the wall's setting itself and they're all looking at the goalkeeper and Darren England's got his back to play. And Ivan Tony picks up the ball, moves it a foot to the right and, scoops up the magic foam with his hands and moves that across a foot to the right and then just puts the ball around the wall and into the bottom corner. I love it. I'm here for if it. No, if no yeah, one's going to catch him doing it, by all means, that's the thing. It falls on, there's three <laughs> officials on the pitch. Who's watching the ball? Well, You've really the... got to wonder what the lino is doing. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. so. What's the worst thing that happens in in, in this scenario? Like, I've, we've seen this happen before where players have tried to be cheeky and move the foam or whatever and a defender will point it out and the referee will notice and they'll blow their whistle and they'll come back and they'll move the ball back and respray the foam. Like, if we're not booking players for these things when we catch them, why isn't every single forward that's taking a free kick trying this? Mm, yeah, That's it. There was one Forest player who saw all of it and I'm so surprised he didn't walk over there and kick the ball back into the spot he should have been in. Uh, that's personally what I would have done. I just I hate to turn this into referee bashing again, but like, no, you but don't. those those ones you see, it, oh, because some just so baffled sometimes where <laughs> they're like, they want you to take the free kick and attacking free kick from the very inch the foul was, and will like blow on the whistle. Or sometimes if it's in the middle of the park, they call it back. But if you take a throw in, you can walk it forward twenty yards. Or <laughs> what, yeah, no if, you're the, if it's in the defensive third and a foul happens in the corner, the keeper always ends up taking it from like the edge of the penalty area just outside the box. And you're like, what's he doing? And then sometimes if the referee sees him, the referee will be like, hey, hey, blows on his whistle, bah, 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 take it back, tells him to take it back, and the ref like he'll pick up the ball, walk back, and then throw the ball back to where it was anyway. And like <laughs> sometimes and then the ref, further. And then the ref waves him on, like, oh yeah, that's better. Like, like what planet are you on? Um the best uh the best example of this, I think, last night is uh like I said, we were watching Leeds Preston uh early in the night it was all that was on. And Leeds got a free kick just over the halfway line. 
and the Archie Gray, the young right fullback, went to take it quickly, and the referee had a spit and blew his whistle a million times, made him put the ball back where it was, just over the halfway line, drew a line with magic foam, marched out 11 feet, drew another line with magic foam for the ball, and then Archie Gray put the ball down and passed it backwards again. Yeah, just wasted <laughs> 45 seconds for no fucking reason, haven't we? Like, oh, the champo. Uh, anyway. He, he has totally emasculated the referee in one move. Um, a big win here for Brentford. If you look at the table and the points they're on now, uh, the points Forrest were on going into this one, it's huge. It puts them above Palace and Forrest. Uh, they've got a game in hand on those two sides as well at the moment. So you'd think they're looking like they could be a safe, especially if... Especially if Ivan Tony is back, like, and he's going to do these things and cheat free kicks and put him in the back of the net. Mm. I'm here for it. It's the only I mean, thing that could make me like Brentford again is Tony. So, what about uh, Morpe Redemption Art? Nah, no one's here for that, are they? It's a good goal. It's a pretty good goal. So, I'm not enjoying witnessing it. His <laughs> Cooper's literally yawning as we talk, as <laughs> we mentioned Morpe. He lit, like Matt a sticks in the eyes stuff. A Freudian yawn of, of sorts. <laughs> What's the Pavlov Pavlov's yawn? Pavlov's dog. Pavlov's every time yawn. Pavlov's yawn. Every time we say <laughs> Neil Mope, Cooper's just going to yawn. Start snoozing. Uh, it looks like the end of Forest. Uh, Forest were on a little bit of a better run there, weren't they? Until they until they had to play FA Cup and they butchered that and had to play a replay. Sure. Um, and then did they butcher that in the end as well? The replay, I can't even remember that they had a replay and fuck knows what happened. Um, but yeah, they won. good stuff. Brentford Forest. I don't know if you have anything else on this. I I didn't watch no. it. Now the Nuno bounce is over, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Brentford with Tony should be safe, you would think. They should. I think Forest will as well. I still think the bottom three as it stands are the three that will go uh, loot and try hard, but that's, that's about all you can give them credit for. Unless Cooper, Small. you have a word about loot and you want to give them credit for their stadium, didn't you? Not after this week from me. Oh, I thought you wanted. You okay. said off air you were gonna. You said Kenilworth Road, Kenilworth Road was a lovely little, like boutique stadium, and that didn't you? The only uh, Kenilworth Road talk I remember having in the last week is when we were sitting out the test match, getting well sunburnt, talking about how the League Cup semi-finals used to be played at neutral venues, and we decided that if they're going to continue to play two leg League Cup <laughs> games, they should just all be played at Kenilworth Road. Yeah, wow, <laughs> that's brilliant. Was, Could you imagine? Uh, there's always some great great chat going on out the back of the test match in Adelaide. It's like a festival out there. It's so good. Having a couple of couple of marg slushes. Couple of marg slushes. Couple yeah. of margarita slushies, as we call them. A marg slush. I'm gonna I'm gonna normalize that, and people will call them marg slushes in a few years. You'll see it. Sheffield two, West Ham two. The Sunday night game, not without drama again. This one, Corne put West Ham ahead. Um, Sheffield equalised through Burton Diaz. Uh, and then award prowse penalty, which was a penalty. We're happy with this. I wanted to get your thoughts on this because the keeper just comes out and just runs through a guy and doesn't get the ball. I think it's, it's pretty it's pretty intense they've given it. Because how often do they give this kind of foul? Um, is that what we're basing it on, though? You're not allowed to? Well, no, of course. Probably. But this was the one we were raging about the um, Onana earlier in the season. We're um, talking, sorry, we're talking Ollie McBurney penalty, not award prowse penalty then? With Ariola uh, coming out and cleaning up the Sheffield player. I believe we're talking Ollie McBurney penalty. Oh, uh, am I? What have I done here? Yeah, so Ariola, yeah, sure. the West Ham goalkeepers, come through all of the 103rd minute, come through a Sheffield player off a cross, no contact with the ball on the referees, given Sheffield a penalty. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, the Ward Prowse one is just chip. Bowen was just chip 
uh, trip, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, there yeah you I, go. Think, I think anyway. both penalties. I think, yeah, you're I think right. they're I think both. You're on the money. They're both definitely penalties, I think. Um, the red cards, are we happy with both of these as reds? One is a second yellow, of course, which probably... I don't which know if I'd want to see yellow. him get a straight red, but I think it is a no, yellow. And if you're already yellow. if you're already on a yellow, then the rules don't change. You have to get a second this, one. Uh, and this Rian Brewster red card is as much of a red card as you're going to see all season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, Two-footed sure. studs up, flying in uh, with both feet. You just don't see it as much these days. With both feet. I just, I also wanted to make comment on. Uh, we've talked a lot of shit about West Ham, and I think if there's one thing that actually backs up all the crap we've spoken this oh, season. Don't do it. Is the <sighs> West Ham drew two all with Sheffield United away from home in this game, a team fighting relegation. In the 103rd minute of this game, Alfonso Ariola gave away a penalty that cost West Ham three points in this game and went off injured, whether like we said, whether he was injured or not, or whether he just decided <laughs> that he was going to stay down and, and didn't want to bar so... after he'd given away the penalty or not. He knew he'd but, fucked uh, up and just went off. Fucked up, cost West Ham three points in one moment, went off injured. See you later. Who knows when we'll see him again. And then was voted man of the match. So uh, I don't well, know how much he had to help West Ham before the 103rd minute, but he'd clearly done so much for them that it didn't matter <laughs> that he fucked the entire result up for them. He mm. was still by far their best player on the pitch. Well, not not facing the penalty saves his um, his fault mob rating, so I guess that kind of contributed to it. Um, Ahmed Hodzic, the centre back, the Sheffield centre back, was unhappy with unhappy with a penalty, wasn't he? He was whinging on Twitter about something going on here. Yeah, you no. don't see this very often. That he's like come out online and addressed it directly, um, and he's called it clearly biased. You can see at the unedited footage where he pulls me down with him, which makes me lose sight of the ball. Obviously, it's been edited to make it look like a pen to West Ham. <laughs> so he's talking about a, a conspiracy at the uh, good folks at Football on TNT Sports, <laughs> chopping up a video to make him look guilty. A completely bizarre thing. That's like, I, I, yeah, completely out of it. I think we all just agreed then that they were both penalties. I guess the main talking point from the end of it now is should... Should West Ham have had another penalty at the end? Uh, the ref, the ball comes into the box. I think it's Bowen there wrestling with, is it Ahmed Hodzic again? And he, uh, or is this the incident he was complaining about, even though it wasn't given a pen? That's the I'm one, so, yeah. I'm just so he baffled. Came, but it wasn't he given. Came, he wasn't given and he still came out guns for it. <laughs> the man's cooked. He <laughs> um, just wanted to set the record straight, okay? But I, I thought this, I, I thought this was a pen. Wasn't it? I think it's a pen. He's That's not looking at the ball. He's got his back turned. It's and he just kind of takes Bowen. I definitely don't see how it's a free against Bowen. Sam's actually the one that edited this video footage. He he managed to, I did it. to hack into the system and, and edit it. So just be aware of anyone that tunes into the podcast. Sam might have any any wrangle over your device that he wants. Uh, no, I think it was a pen too. I, I think, like you said, he's not looking at the ball whatsoever and he... It's awkward, and it's one of those ones where people are going to say, oh, there's no intent, da 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 it can't be a penalty. But he's not looking at the ball whatsoever, and he's given Jared Bowen no opportunity to play at it. So I think it is a penalty. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And Bowen probably gets like a shot on target and maybe scores as well. So they should probably be calling that. Oh, I thought you were still going, just calling I that. I Yeah. Uh, West Ham robbed. You won't hear me say that too often. Um but oh, there you he go. Agrees. West, West Ham robbed. 
Should we talk about the Socceroos? Mm. No, no, mm. Um, no, no. No, <laughs> Is yawns there enthusiasm? There. no yawns there, like we did with Mope. Let's talk Socceroos. We were uh, not mentioning the Liverpool Bournemouth result this morning. Oh man, I'm having a mess tonight. <laughs> hey. I was like, I thought we were we can skip it. We can skip it. Do you really want to? No, not really. We don't. We uh, don't need on. to. There's not a lot to about, be said. Go on, talk about Darwin. Oh, don't talk about my boy him. Darwin. Ten, 10 goals, ten assists in in this season gone so far now in all competitions. Uh, more goals than every member of the Arsenal front three, and just cruising along. All right, doing- yeah. I just, oh, shots. I just muted him. Just mute. Yeah, <laughs> I muted mute. him he, just, um, he was throwing strays uh, around for no reason. No, I like that he, he found his stat and he came straight for you with it. Yeah. Just less of a Sam shot, more of a... The thing with Sam <laughs> is that he's been right behind Darwin this whole time too. And I have. The, the Darwin haters are very, very quiet at the moment. He's uh he's humbled Bournemouth once again, which is his favourite thing to do. Stat pad <laughs> against Bournemouth. I'm all that. for it. Why not? Um. But Diogo Jota is so good too. He's the probably behind Mohamed Salah. If Liverpool go through one on one on goal, Diogo Jota is the guy that you want to to be on the receiving end. He's just so clinical. Yeah. Um, when he keep Con- when he keeps his feet, he is very good. Young Connor Bradley, um, Liverpool recalled him from loan, and he started every game since playing at uh, left fullback. Obviously, no Trent and no Andy Robertson. So Joe Gomez playing out on the right. Connor Bradley. On the left-hand side, got himself in his first Premier League start, got himself an assist. So he now joins the list of Premier League players to get a goal or assist on debut this season, which is something that Anthony still hasn't managed to do in 17 games. For me. Hey, now, those are strays that we are here for. I, I really enjoyed two moments in this game. Um, the the co- the comms, the main comms, um, said after Jossa scored his second, Jossa is beating the cherries off. And I was like, that is a really interesting turn of phrase it's like <laughs> but you can't you can't disagree with the spectacle can you it's like it's simply gorgeous watching a man beat off in his prime <laughs> very good uh, se- I'm all the here. second I'm one here for it uh, the second one i liked uh nunez two-footing uh the final goal in that is just like peak darwin isn't it <laughs> and then as a result i saw someone tweet about it and they said wonder what would happen if you locked nunez in a room and handed him a rubik's cube he might eat it <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he would eat it. He wouldn't know what to do. Or he'd headbutt it. Why does that make no sense, but so much sense all at the same time? Yeah, I reckon he'd, he'd put the Rubik's Cube down in the corner and he would pace around in the other corner looking at it, trying to intimidate it. Occasionally barking. Yeah. Weird, there man. Was a, I'm here for his arc, though. There was a, there was a, uh, a betting market last night that I saw going around on Twitter that is one I've never seen before, and it's the most Darwin Nunez thing I've ever heard in my life. And it was Darwin Nunez to score the most goals and commit the most fouls. <laughs> Did uh, it come to fruition? Did it work? <laughs> I have no idea, but <laughs> but who else? Very good. Liverpool four, Bournemouth nil. That's all you need to know. Uh, Jota banging in goals again. Darwin banging in goals. Let's keep it going. They're a joy to watch. Uh, let's. Are you re- can we talk Socceroos now? Yeah, what do you want to now do? Now we can. I just this is the most unorganized. We, we're a bit of a bit of a mess of a pod tonight. I can't get my brain working, and um, this this feels like very early days. You, where you and I, Tom, <laughs> would just do it without any sort of run sheet at all. I've got a little run sheet here, and I just I still can't follow it. It's just not working. But let's talk about the Socceroos. Um, a one nil win. <laughs> I was going to say at home, a one nil win away, a one nil win in Qatar. 
at the Asian Cup against Syria where Arnie decided he was going to drop Craig Goodwin for mm-hmm. a left back and play him on the left wing to keep Aziz Bayic in the team. Uh, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, what a, f- what a fucking goober. Um, that's the best way to describe Graham Arnold at the moment, I think. This is Australia's best left back playing on the left wing. So an Australian left back who has been torched by teenagers in the A-League this season can stay in the side and be torched by more experienced professional footballers. And I don't know what this guy, I don't know what Graham Arnold's been sitting in his fucking Sydney Beach mansion watching for the last eight months. But if he'd been watching any A-League football whatsoever, he'd be well aware that as his badge is, is not fit to be starting games in this team. I can understand him. Be being in this squad, he probably keeps his squad there's, spot. There's a yeah. little bit of depth, but but Jordan Boss is the he's not just the left back for this tournament. He's the left back of the future for the Socceroos, and and fullback is a spot that the Socceroos have struggled to produce players to play for a long period of time now. Obviously, Batch has been serviceable, and the right back spot's been up for grabs for the last few years. But you finally got someone that comes in and takes it with both hands. When do we start rewarding him? And, and I think now's the time because you can't take the first good left back they've had in in a period of time and try and turn him into a left winger just to keep a 33-year-old mm. in the side. Definitely. First good one, first long-term good one since Chipperfield. And yeah. you saw like the kind of longevity and reliability you could get out of that guy over five, six, how many campaigns he competed in. That's what you can do with Geordie Boss at the moment. Like you said, generational talent, really. And in such a tricky position, he possesses all you know the assets and the skills required to be really good. Just play him there. I had a feeling he was going to drop Craig. I think we talked about this. Um, it's, he didn't perform well, and it seemed like the most reactive move you could make would be to drop Craig Goodwin and Marty Boyle. But he, he kept Boyle on, which turned out to be a masterstroke in the end. Um, but, yeah, to put Boss on left wing, that's just... I'm when actually, you've got other wingers in the team. I, I don't hate Graham Arnold dropping Craig Goodwin in this game. I, mm. I think Craig was quite poor in that first game and we all pointed it out. And whether it's reactionary or not, uh, I understand why he's done it. I don't think this side functions with Mitchell Duke as a nine without Craig Goodwin in this team because the whole game plan of this team with Mitchell Duke is to cross the ball. And Craig Goodwin, whether he had a good or a bad game against India, is far and beyond the best crosser yeah. in this team. We didn't yeah. once look like taking advantage of a set piece with Harry Sutar and, again, the huge Chris Burgess who finally started next to him in the box. We didn't once put an early cross into Mitch Duke that looked like it was going to trouble the Syrian back line. It just, to me, it's an odd decision. And and Duke was honking against India too. I think if one goes, both goes. If you're going to stick by Duke and Boyle, you stick by Craig as well. And mm-hmm. if you're that desperate to get Geordie Boss in the team, which I think you should be, he comes in for Aziz Bayic, not Craig Goodwin. Um, yeah. I just the, the fullbacks are the confusing spots in this team at the moment. Um, Gethin Jones, I really thought was going I'll just, to be... Sorry, can I just finish right? off on Boss before you move on? I, I think like people will think it's just common sense that like left-sided players will just play anywhere up that left side, but like mm. attack, like playing left back and playing left wing, left wing are so completely different. And in terms of attacking, if you're a very good attacking fullback, then like playing on the left wing doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be, be a very good attacking winger. Like the runs are coming from different areas of the pitch. And to me, someone like Craig Goodwin is the perfect fit for someone like Jordy Boss to play left back. Craig is not the sort of player that gets in behind a lot these days. He makes smart runs, but he's not 
he's hardly running at defenders and trying to burn them with pace or looking to get free on the counter-attack really deep into the oppo area. But he's getting on the ball and creating things and letting fullbacks get around. And we saw how well he worked with Ryan Kiddo last season, how good Ryan Kiddo was at getting in behind him. Um, I think, and like Jordy Boss is obviously an infinitely better footballer than Ryan Kiddo, I'd say. <laughs> uh, let him, let him, let Craig hold up the ball for there for him there, and let Boss get around him and attack. Yeah. That it looks so dangerous, and they they've done it in, uh, they did it in. It was set up that way for a little bit in one of the qualifiers uh, where we pumped goals, and it just looks really dangerous, and it makes sense to everybody but Arnie, I would say at this but point. Arnie, at this point, cannot understand. Why? But um, anyway, it's the perfect it's the perfect two pronged attack because when Jordy goes, he can always lay it back to Craig, who's got that vicious cross in a little bit of space, and that's where it brings in the Duke role. It's, and if we're not yeah. we're not playing to our strengths, what are we like? What are we doing? It's perfect balance. Uh, Cooper, you want to talk about Gethin Jones? This is a this is a strange strange pick. Yeah, I've got. I mean, two more points on Arnie, and my first is with Gethin Jones. Is when I think when we saw him him picked in this squad, it was a lot of a. Like we said last week, who the fuck is Gethin Jones? And and obviously everyone's gone in and looked up and he's he plays in League One and they've gone, okay, Arnie's gone and naturalized this fullback out of League One. He must possess much more quality than what we've already got there. This guy is no better. In fact, he's probably worse from what we've seen so far than Matt Miller or Ryan Strain. And I don't understand what if you're those two boys, you're feeling incredibly hard done by to to not be starting in this squad because Gethin Jones has been plucked out of nowhere and, again, is another further on in his career player that probably isn't good enough to be starting in this team but is in there halting the, the tournament development of, yeah. of these other guys that are good enough to be started. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather, I I'd if... rather see Bovelina at this point. Like, this guy is honking, man. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see Bovelina playing for the Socceroos <laughs> just yet. <laughs> But over Gethin Jones, I don't know if over Gethin Jones right now, but yeah, it just seems like if you have other players that are younger, but they're just as good, if not better, then they've they've got to go in. Like you can't just pick this guy because of you think he's got some experience or whatever it is. Like it's it doesn't make any sense. He hasn't been part of the Australia camp for like at all. And now here he is. Like he's just I've, uh, starting. I've, I've muddled up my Millers there too. Uh, Lewis Miller, not Matt Miller, but point yep. still stands. Um, yep. And the other point I wanted to make was Arnie's substitutions in this game is that Jordy Boss at left wing was an odd decision, but he was probably one of Australia's two best players in the first half of this game. Yep. I think he was probably the guy that offered something going forward when there was something, but not a lot. Um, and then Aidan O'Neill, I also thought was really good in the first half of this game and was the only midfielder that really showed any gear to get the ball and progress the team forward. Um, and yet they were two of the three players that were taken off only 10 minutes after half time. So Arnie looked at his team, thought, geez, we're not offering much threat. I'm going to take off the only two guys that are and replace them with two players that struggled to in the first game. Um, fortunately, Riley McGree came on for Connor Metcalf at the same time as well. And just it was excellent again. I think Riley McGree needs to play almost every minute of this tournament from here on out. He's just such a game changer for this Socceroos team. But these changes were just terrible from Arnold. He just got this so wrong in so many different ways. Yeah, I agree. Is he just easing McGree back into it, do you think? Because he's been yeah, a little bit injured, a little bit on and off, yeah. I think there's potential that he is just easing McGree back into the situation. But again, I just think this midfield, this obsession with... Connor Metcalf and Jackson Irvine. And in the prior game, it was Keanu Backus who played virtually the whole second half here. Who are you it's, not it's wanting not, in there? I, I, Backus, not, it, it's Metcalf. Not, I, th I think Irvine's a clear 
I think Irvine's in the middle yeah. is, is the one head and shoulders above the other two. I just yeah. also mean I think this midfield three is like it doesn't offer enough going forward. We we saw against the low block against India that Bacchus, Metcalf and Irvine together, there wasn't a single midfielder who was willing to get in, in behind the the midfield defensive line of, of the Indians. Yep. And Aidan O'Neill attempted to do it in this game. And I think his attempt to get in behind the lines of Syria was um, something that made him stand out in this game. Whether he was successful or not is, is another thing. He was nowhere near as successful as Riley McGree was in his 40-minute cameo. But at least he tried to progress the team forward so they weren't so flat mm. because of it. But this combination with Metcalf and Bacchus and, and Irvine, I don't think two of the three can be on the pitch at the same time. No, I agree. No, I, I think the Australia team, what we're really screaming out for like a proper six. I think like a defensive mid that, you know, this say this, get him in. Um, but, you <laughs> know. It's too late to naturalise him. Someone that can just do that. And then that, that allows Irvine to do what he does, which is like he's not the most exciting player, but he's, he's very reliable and he's genu- generally pretty well positioned and doing the right things, supporting both ends of the park, doing mm-hmm. that box-to-box type thing. And yep. then you just need that, like the attacker to get in there, like which be a Riley to it's, sit in that 10 role be and, Riley. and yeah. drift further forward. Yeah. It, it's, it's not great like Haroostitch, it has to be Riley. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's great for the Socceroos that they've got six out of six points and that they're qualified for the knockout stages already. Mm. It is beyond concerning that Jackson Irvine is the only player that's scored in this tournament so far. Um, six national team goals coming in and and now two to add to it. It's They, they need to find goals from someone else. Yeah. Um, this is going to bring up a bit of a night shift debate here again, I reckon. But uh, I'm not sure if either of you have seen. Obviously, the Socceroos, 10 o'clock tomorrow night, was Bekistan the last game of the group stage. Um, big game because we'll need to win this game to top the group. Um, Mitch Duke unavailable with a hamstring strain. Who starts? Bruno Fornaroli or Cassini Yengi? <laughs> I'm going Bruno, I think. Tommy, come on. Don't give us silence. I'm wondering, I want to say Yengi, but like I'm trying to think of a way to make it sound like I'm not taking the piss. I think he replicates the way Duke plays a little bit better. And I, I read on, uh, I read that, you know, Bruno might be a better option with 20, 30 minutes to go to come in and try and break, Duke, you know, not, not take okay. the hits initially and to try and come on in a game where he can break it open against tiring legs. Do we want to play to the way that, we play for Duke because, to be honest, that's shit. It is that's shit. Not but is, great. He, is he gonna? Is he gonna play any other way? Well, if, if we just is good enough to there. link up with your Rileys and link up with your Boyles and link up with your Craigs and Geordie Bosses mm. and Irvine's and, and things like them. So he's got to like he just get him in. I think the only reason we like, yeah, like obviously the the Duke thing has worked for him and he goes with Duke because he's been our most. Most reliable striker, and I get that, and yeah. he's probably he Duke has earned that, but mm-hmm. it just it it baffles me that he's only really found one way. Like I'm putting all of this back on Arnie. I'm putting the mm. midfield thing back on Arnie as well because like Metcalf is not a bad player. I think he's a decent player, and if we can't get that midfield sorted with Irvine and Metcalf, then what's he doing? Um, and then in terms of the Duke thing, if we just if we can only still find this one way to play because we have to suit. The only guy that can consistently go score goals, and we we can't even get someone like Bruno in because we're not good enough to link up and you know yeah. play passing football. Arnie isn't good enough to get these guys playing passing football. Then I, what are we doing here? 
Yeah, I think this is... I, I personally would start Bruno because I think this is a perfect opportunity to see if this front line, given a little bit of freedom with the right midfield combination, can unlock teams, especially Uzbekistan being the best team that they've come across so far, yeah, can yeah. unlock teams in different ways. Given you've qualified for the knockouts already, uh, you know that you're not going to play Japan or South Korea. I think this is the the way to well, go. Unless we finish and, second. And see if something different can, uh, can come of this. Um, I also think that on just on the midfield point you made there, Patrick Yazbek is an unused sub in every game so far. He he won't play in this game. He won't play in any of the knockout games. If mm-hmm. we're forced to use a Cassini Yangi at some point in this tournament, you know, a hamstring strain could be an injury that lasts more than one game. We can go through and and Duke could not be available until the semi-final. Yeah. Is this not the perfect opportunity to have had a guy like like Alex Robertson in this squad in the spot that Patrick Yazbek is in yeah. and gone? Definitely. We need we need a little bit of a two guys to spark this up. Hey, Alex and Cassini provide something that's so different and they do it together every single week at a club basis. This is the perfect opportunity to play these two young guys together and see if we can break this game open. Yeah. And it's just great. It's call. a mess. This is from a great squad selection point. They have to get serious now. And we're doing this thing again where Arnie's going to get looked over and blown over because there's six from six points and they'll qualify in the group. They'll probably scrap a result against Uzbekistan and they'll top the group. They might win one knockout game and get knocked yeah. out by a Japan or a South Korea. And everyone will go, you know what? We got knocked out by a better team. He did what we can. But we need to be real and go right back to the start and go, this is a mess from squad selection, from how the, the friendlies leading in were played to squad selection is an absolute mess all the way through to lineup selection to everything. This is It's been shambolic from Arnold so far. Yeah, I think so much of this frustration as well comes from the fact that, like, because people will say we're just, we're moaning about, you know, and we're, the team is, he's gotten results and we're still moaning about it. But, like, it only gets you so far and we've seen that. And I think, like, the frustration comes from we, we, we should be able to also be, a country like Australia should be able to get results as well as look better than we do, mm-hmm. you know, against teams like this as well. Or no disrespect to Syria, but come on, like you know, Syria and or who did we play in the first game? India. India. Yep. That was that Two was dreadful. India. That was awful. And I know they just sat back and defended, but like, how are we not able to move the ball quicker and just like you know, <laughs> pass balls in triangles and things and just do stuff like do Absolute. fundamental football shit like. We should be Basic able to, identity. I think, have our cake and eat it too. Like, we should be able to get yeah. results and yeah. be enjoying good football. When we tune in to watch yes. the Socceroos in a tournament like this, we should be enjoying the football we play and we should be it going out there be a and, chore. And, like, bossing the groups, you know? And then we, a, we see how we go when we come across, like, Korea and Japan and whoever. From a perspective of this team going forward, uh, a status or I have here in front of me, inclusive of the Bahrain warm-up game, five days out from this tournament, the game against India in the first game of the group stage and the game just gone against Syria, a combined XG of 3.45 across those three games is awful. That Absolutely is disgusting. terrible. I hate XG, yeah, it, but that's shit. It, it paints a clear picture because it shows exactly what you're saying is that we're not creating any kind of clear-cut chance against opposition. We should be able to you know, scythe open, basically, at will. It should be like an Arsenal Crystal Palace situation. In the opposite, they're obviously not pressing and they are playing low blocks, but that's where our quality, and like you said, having an Alex Robinson to bring on or utilise in a situation like this would just be so key. Um, and, you know, maybe we are missing Moy and uh, Rogic. Like, this is the first time 
they're both not at you know a tournament together or by themselves and we are in a sort of transition period and if you want to play devil's advocate for a second look at the way japan and south korea are handling their groups at the moment is it as shambolic as we are making it out because we are we're kind of cruising through just get a draw against uzbekistan we stay on top we get the easy part of the 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 draw on the right side we could cruise our way to a final yeah, I'm still more convinced that either of those two sides and probably both turn this situation around um, unless they do have to play each other in a round of 16, of course. But at least one of these two sides is making the final of this tournament still. And I, even though they've had shaky results and, and haven't gotten wins, I'm more confident in them turning it around and getting to a final than Australia getting there with a cruisy run. Yeah, agreed. Definitely. Speaks, um, speaks volumes of our... Just our faith, I suppose, in when what we're being seen. It, it's just such a chore. It is such a chore to watch this team at the moment. Which, which is what annoys me the most. You know, if we, I'm not saying I want to see us beat every team eight nil. I just want to. I want to see us not playing so dull and boring. And the frustration is we we've got a squad over there. The amount of A League talent in this squad, like players that have come through the A League and played in the A League, some still do. Um. And but Arnie's still coaching like he was he's out he's out at Sydney or whatever and just I don't know it's just I I don't know I'm just I'm pissed off it's annoying it's boring it's so boring it. and I want better yeah two more years two more years to come what's the go after that do we do you think like is it a case that maybe maybe you need an international manager to come in to get the best out of some of these guys. You know, I don't reckon we're ever going to see an international manager again. You don't think? Not for a not for a significant period of time. It'll just be Talley um, next, won't it? Whoever's coming out of Sydney, Musket, Popper. Yeah, either of the two, they're probably due their opportunity. I I don't think there will be a turnaround in this side if we remain with Australian managers unless we get an an end retirement tour with the national team would be a turning point at some point, but it's a long way off and it's a hard look. I just, I just, with his management style and what gets me so much is like, I, I made a point of Yazbek and I've spoken about him a few times, but there's four or five guys in this squad that won't play a minute at this tournament. And I, you take a guy like a, a Garen Kowal, an Esther and Kondor, or a lot of talk about Aiden Hrustich, sorry, Aiden Hrustich and how he wasn't taken to this tournament because it's been almost 12 months since he played a competitive game of football. But what hurt is it having him on the on the bench in this squad? Obviously, every member of the squad is on the bench available for use and just rolling the dice with him if you have to. If you're going to take guys you're not going to use whatsoever, then why not take these guys that are good enough to play but just haven't been playing enough football or are too Yeah, young? great. Interesting. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I err more on the side of taking young players just to be in the setup. If you've got you know uh, a full squad and eight good bench players, you can take two or three. It's just the fact that these guys, we're never going to see them in a Socceroos kit after this. Like, there's yeah. no way Yazbek has a career in international uh, sphere. Garen, Garen Kowal at the World Cup 12 months ago came off the bench and nearly changed the game against a team that went on to be world champions. Why mm. can't he do that against Syria 12 months later, regardless of whether or not he's played well in Scotland or wherever he's gone? Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's been great um, in his club football, but he's kind of got a little bit of a run on the board, I guess. So you've already given him the taste of it. Uh, it can't hurt, can it? Um, you're just going to pick nobodies and just 
guys, like you said, that aren't going to be involved in future anyway. Um, obviously, this could all just we could we could end up winning this tournament easily, but I just want to get it <laughs> right out there right now on the front foot and say I will still stand by everything I'm saying right now. You know, even if we win this tournament. We can do it looking better, surely, <laughs> especially against India and especially against Syria. And who knows what Uzbekistan are going to throw at us. All right. You two have games of the week that you picked this week and they still haven't been played and they will have been played by the time people listen to this. Cooper, you've got Leicester and Ipswich or is it Ipswich v Leicester? I don't know who the time team is anymore. It's your game. You take us through it. Yeah. Um, uh Top three clash, I believe it is in the championship with Leeds. Uh, Leeds dropping, sorry, Leeds yeah. getting a win last night that they needed to get um, to stay within four points of of Ipswich. This is a huge result for all of those teams in the top four. Southampton sit above Ipswich now, just on goal difference, but obviously Ipswich with this game of hand, um, they have to win this. They have to find a way to beat Leicester in this game because if they don't. They're only four points clear of Leeds who who are coming and they're now behind Southampton in the race for, for automatic promotion. This is it's getting to that point of the, the season in the championship where these games become must win. And Ipswich have been turned over a couple of times now by by sides in in and around the area. They sit on the table. So I think this is the one for them. If they lose this, to me, they're a team that they give me a little bit of of Derby vibes from a few years ago where they're going to sit up around the top two for a while and eventually they'll drop off because they're not quite as good as what's around them and they, they'll either make it to a playoff final or they'll lose a playoff semi-final, but they're just not quite there for me. So I think Leicester win this one at home. Yeah, we've had them pinned there all season, I think, as the one side in that top handful that look most like they could slide. Tommy, your game of the week is in the Asian Cup. What do you got for us? No, it's um, it's in Afcon. Oh, sorry, it's Afcon, isn't it? Oh, everyone's. I forgot for a second. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> everyone's um, everyone's favorite continental tournament, which has just seen the most bizarre stuff. Like, just search Afcon online if you want to watch a highlight of you know the the wackiest footballing moments you can imagine in one tournament. It's been great, but there has been some good stories too. And Cape Verde topping their group at the moment, um, two wins from two. Six points at the moment. They come up against a, a slightly stuttering Egypt that need to win this game to secure uh, progress through to the um, to the knockout stage. A Salah-less, Salah-less, how do you say that? Salah-less Egypt yeah. at that. So it could be, you know, upsets on the cards here. You need to pick a, pick a result for me. So by the time the lovely listeners hear this, they'll be able to then go and check the score from the game that will be played in the morning. And... Um, I, I would say right Egypt still probably win 2-1. Okay. Right. But that, Interesting call. None, you know, nonetheless, Cape tops the group, so they're done. So I think that if they have a rotation policy, I think it will be implemented right now. Beauty. All right. I think we'll wrap it there. We've gone on a bit, and uh, I, my brain is just so rattled. We've lost our place a few times, but we got there in the end. That's all that matters, isn't it? It's, it's not about the – you know, it's about the, the friends journey. we made. Friends yeah. we made along the way. Uh, it's no, about, fuck, fuck the friends. It's about the outcome. It's about Cooper yawning at the mention of Neil Mope. He did it again. He did oh, it again. he's See? done it. You just say Mope and he yawns. It's classic. Um, this is crazy. I agree. I like it. I'm going to start doing it everywhere I go. I'm just going to yell Mope in the streets and see how many people just <laughs> fall asleep instantly. Uh, no red edition this week because Adelaide United haven't played over the weekend. They play again Thursday night. We've got Melbourne City away. If you want to go back and listen to last week's red edition, we did do some predictions for that. I think I picked like a 9-2 win or something for Adelaide or 
two with Nestor scoring 18 or something ridiculous like that. He's going to get a bag. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think you guys predicted wins as well, did you? Did you predict wins? Always. Always. We just went City. all out and said that we're going to beat at, uh, Melbourne City because Melbourne City are our little... They're pretty, they're pretty yeah, average we, too. We own them. We own Melbourne City and they suck. They lost to Central Coast on the weekend. Uh, go check it out. Check out all the socials. Check out the Twitter. Check out the Facebook. Check out the Insta. Tell your mates. See you later. Have a good week. Uh, go the Reds this week. Go Australia. Go football, whoever you support and wherever it's being played.